0: Thursday, June 5th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Funds. Tim Hansen from Motley Fool Options and Stock Advisor Canada. Once again, Jim Gillies in the house. Good today. to see you guys. Hey. He got, he's a repeat guest this week. He, he, you know, anytime. Our border security deigns to let Jim into this country. We yep. feel obliged to get him on the podcast. Capitalize, capitalize. it always be the last time.
1: Canada's loss is our is our temporary gain. Yes, and it, to anyone who works for border security, I mean, when Jim's here, the population of Canada drops by like three percent, <laughs> pretty
0: much. Yeah. Uh, if there is anyone from border security listening, just a heads up: Joe Mager will be attempting to enter the United States sometime in early August. So. <laughs> If they let him through, we'll we'll get him in the studio. But um, we've got uh, yet another merger in the telecom space, and uh, tomorrow is National Donut Day, so you know we're going to talk about that. But let's start with General Motors and the ongoing investigation, which has now reached its conclusion. Uh, CEO Mary Barra said today, GM has the results of the investigation that had been led uh, by a former U.S. attorney into the faulty ignition switch. Uh, and the recall. Uh, she said GM plans to implement all of the recommendations. Uh, and Tim, I'm just quoting here, she just, she described the findings as, quote, extremely thorough, brutally tough, and deeply troubling. Fifteen people have been fired from GM. Five others have been disciplined in some way. We don't know who these people are. Presumably, they are not executives of any uh, sort. Um, what was your reaction when you first saw this news? I think the most
1: shocking part of this report is that it it exonerates Mary Barra from having known about this before she became CEO four or five months ago. And now here here's a little research. I did a little research. Here, here, here are some facts about Mary Barra. <clears throat> she began her career with GM in 1980. Right. Um, prior to becoming CEO, she was a plant manager. She was the Senior Vice President of Global Product Development, the Executive Vice President of Global Product Development, and the Vice President of Global Manufacturing and Engineering. It seems to me like she might have known, given those job titles. I don't know. I don't know. Um, So 15 people were fired. She probably... Could have been on that list as well, but somehow managed to escape. I thought, you know, I, I mentioned I thought um, Greg Stein Hoffel, the now deposed CEO of Target, had a lock on this year's worst CEO award. But, man, she, Mary Barra is making a charge here given, <laughs> given, given the facts and, and the textbook case of crisis mismanagement she's putting on.
0: So uh, my follow-up question was going to be, do you think this is behind them? And it sounds like, based on what you just said, the answer is overwhelmingly no. This isn't
1: I, no. I mean, it seems like you know the way to handle a crisis, right? Is to is to get out in front of it, put everything on the table, and handle it, right? That's that's the textbook way to do transparency, right? You know, admit the worst, and then hope maybe it gets better, right? Don't let the worst keep trickling out because that's just, I mean, that's just a way to get to get a, a, a very poor public relations um, strategy. And, and yet GM continues to allow worse and worse news to trickle out. And, and you know, what's shocking about this is Delphi, who makes the part in question, came out and said, um, yeah, you know, this is like a $2 part that takes about five minutes to swap in and out. And GM didn't recall these cars sooner because it was going to be too expensive and time-consuming, which begs the question, what would trigger them to make a recall? yeah. I have if we have to I don't know I uh, uh, I mean changing the format I, I don't know uh, Jim uh, to
0: Tim's point when I had read through the story this morning the thing that struck me was not necessarily about Mary Barra but it was the lack of any specificity beyond the basic nuts and bolts of what I just shared right at the top here and I just thought, you know what, if this were 1984, you know, if this were 30 years ago, If this were pre Tylenol crisis with the Johnson and Johnson. I wasn't even thinking pre Tylenol crisis. I was thinking if this were pre Internet. But I just, I look, you know, to Tim's point, I look at this and I think, you know what, I'm sure that Mary Barra got in a room with her top advisors, and they all cobbled together and they put out this statement. And, you know, and someone in the room probably said and this is our way to get beyond this but today with information so easily accessible i can't imagine there isn't going to be some draft copy of this report or just i can't believe we're not going to see more specific information coming out leading possibly
2: a trail if not to mary barra then to other people high up the food chain well i'm i'm sitting here a little disconcerted because uh i'm not used to not being the most cynical person in the room, but I think Tim uh, Tim just wins that one today uh, and and he's placed me in the perhaps uncomfortable position of of defending a little bit Maribara, but why not? Um, having worked as a manufacturing engineer in the past and done this kind of stuff, yeah, it, w- it wouldn't surprise me that the person in charge didn't know about it. It would not um, surprise you. it would not surprise me no I mean there's I think back to some of my placements in my career, and yeah the the further up the food chain they went, the generally the less specificity of the product. Those engineers had. Now that said, you know, if there's a concept of the buck stops here, uh, when I was reading this this morning, uh, the thing that was screaming at me was the this whole thing can be summed up in one sentence as in the buck stops over there. We're fine. No one here had anything to do. We're How are you? Don't look at us. 15 unnamed people. Fifty. Uh, they, they did name one guy who was a senior engineering okay. type. And, uh, you know, I mean, he was, he's clearly the scapegoat. Uh, I, I saw him on, uh, he was on CNBC this morning, or his, at least his mugshot was. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think this is going to absolutely snowball on them for the next little while as more and more news comes out. Uh, this this thing about being able to change out in two minutes, my my neighbors have a car that has been recalled and I was talking to him on the weekend and he said, yeah, so they got a rental right now that GM's paying for. And he says, yeah, we might have this for a couple months. So I don't know what this two minute <laughs> thing is, but you know they're clearly they're clearly in crisis mode where they're recalling anything they can possibly get to to take this thing down. I'm actually interested in GM stock for the first time in forever because I kind of like companies that are showing this kind of trouble because the market tends to punish them. So the stock isn't getting punished
0: too bad. It was down maybe half a percent when we walked in the studio today. So, but I don't know. I just I I, I can see I can see your point about. GM being such a big company, so many employees, it, it is entirely plausible. It's believable to me that, in fact, Mary Barra did not know at you know at some point. And yet, just from a leadership, from a crisis management standpoint, wouldn't it have been better if she had come out with an even stronger statement that 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 called herself into question, saying, you know what? I was in a position where I should have known about this. I did not. And, you know, I I don't know.
2: Tim's commentary on how to handle a crisis and GM's scoring on that, on that, by that criteria, he's absolutely right. This has been terrible. By the way, isn't that, in some ways, isn't that the most
0: surprising part of all of this? That, you know what? The blueprint is out there for how to handle a huge crisis like mm-hmm. this. It started with the Tylenol, Tylenol. crisis back in yeah. the 1980s and pretty much any company that has followed that playbook Tim you know if they do it correctly and they and they get out in front of it then yeah there's some short term pain there's a short term financial hit but if you're thinking long term about your reputation and all your shareholders all your stakeholders
1: you're better off following the playbook well that's why i think i mean <clears throat> you know jim says you might be interested in gm stock you know just the way that they've handled themselves here i think is evidence of the fact this is an organization that I mean, this is an organization that has been challenged by a variety of things for a very long time. Um, you know, if, if if Mary Barra, as the vice president of global manufacturing and engineering, didn't realize about a, a defect that was leading to deaths in in um, her product, you know, maybe plausible, but that would also be representative of kind of a failure of of, of leadership somewhere in the in the chain of communication. Mm-hmm. You know, people down on the bottom of the organizational structure are scared or for whatever reason, aren't communicating with the people at the top who are making strategic decisions, you know, that leads to disasters like this, and it leads to mismanagement of capital and all sorts of other bad consequences. So, you know, I think, to, to your point, it, it, it's hard to get excited about GM as an organization just because it seems to indicate that there are a lot of parts of it that are, that are broken.
0: Well, and there's also the culture, right? I mean, that was, while the appointment of Mary Barra, as CEO earlier this year, was hailed for, among other things, she's the first female CEO of a major automotive company. To the extent that anyone raised any red flags, it was it was along those lines. It was, uh, does GM need an outsider in the way that Ford Motor brought in Alan Mulally from Boeing? Mm-hmm. Do they need a culture shift? And I think that that sort of got quickly swept under the rug. Like, no, no, no. This is a great hire. Well,
1: the differences between GM and Ford, I think, have been on display for a few years now in terms of how they've how they've each handled themselves, both going into the the bailout, you know, and how they handled themselves through that. What their culture, what their culture was in terms of, you know. How they have felt like they should interact with the government and what they should do. They obviously took very different different paths, and Ford has now been rewarded for that, and GM continues to muddle muddle through. And you know, it's not clear that. Well, they certainly don't have any. They don't certainly don't have visionary leadership. So, in 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 a, in a industry that's rapidly changing and highly competitive, highly competitive, um, that's that's a check against.
0: U.S. regulators in charge of reviewing major telecom and cable industry mergers apparently they don't have enough to do because now they've got one more. <laughs> uh, at least it is it is close uh, to being, if we're to believe reports, and that is uh, the news about Sprint and T-Mobile. Uh, and the pot- potential merger there. And I-, I don't know about you guys, I'm seeing a, a pretty wide range of numbers uh, on the size of this potential merger, a- anywhere from sort of the low $30 billion, upwards of $50 billion. Um, But Tim, I was saying to you earlier today, one of the things I'm a little confused by uh, is analysts who are being quoted saying they don't think this is going to get approved. Now, these are, just for the sake of context, when you're looking at the mobile phone operators you've got Verizon and AT&T at the top and Sprint and T-Mobile distant third and mm-hmm. fourth so the merger of them would create a, a obviously a bigger competitor but a, arguably a more viable competitor so, so yeah. on on the surface of it it's like well wait a minute why wouldn't this one get approved
1: so that that is that is the crux of the of the argument is whether had, the FC, so the F, I think the, the regulators have said in the past that they want there to be at least four competitors in the space. So that would be the the, the thing working against approval. Um, the argument that Sprint and T-Mobile are going to make is that numbers three and four they're not they're not big enough to even matter. I mean, it doesn't change the behavior of Verizon or Sprint, so that the the space would be more competitive with three major carriers instead of four. Um, you know, the government is hard to predict on on these issues. I mean, I mean people can think back to like the Whole Foods Wild Oats litigation. I mean, that was you know That was years. That was and and, and it just it and, made no sense why you would think yeah. that Whole Foods and Wild Oats would be a monopoly anyway. So <laughs> there it's a hard it's a hard um issue to predict. Now there's a huge breakup fee reported lo- looming. It's like a billion dollars if this doesn't go through that Sprint is going to pay T Mobile. So obviously the incentives are there for them to work to get it done. Maybe they know something. I mean, you know, they've got lobbyists, so maybe they've they've taken the temperature of, of of Washington on the matter. I I think the idea that three is better than four has has some merit, but you know, if you look at specifically given the size of the four companies, but if you look specifically at T-Mobile, they've been real innovators in terms of um, pricing and in some of the ways they've they've kind of scrapped to compete over the past year they, or two?
0: They are much smaller, but they have been very nimble.
1: Yeah, they've been punching above their weight, and they, they have effectively changed the behaviors of of um, the big guys, particularly on the, you know, you can now get phones from them without locking into those long-duration contracts, which is something I think the regulators would like to see get phased out of the industry. So, you know, it's 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 an interesting discussion. Um, probably a good deal for T-Mobile shareholders if the move goes through, because uh, they, they are they are too small to be profitable in the space given the pressure the competitive pressure so they would like to be bigger but we'll see well, at, uh, jim at
0: least in this moment investors are saying they don't think this is going to happen because you look at shares of both companies they're both down at what point if you think it is going to happen like at what point do you jump in if you think no this is going to happen there 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 is an opportunity for a combined sprint in t mobile do you wait for Some sort of formal announcement from Uncle Sam, or what do you do here? Or do you just sit on the sidelines and wait?
2: Options, Jim, right? I I was going to say the the, the problem becomes once you know it's going to go through, everyone knows it's going to go through. And uh, so the opportunity is gone. Tim's exactly right. You play this with options and you say, and and you play it with money that you're not afraid to say, well, I might torch it. So, you know, maybe. Uh, whatever the uh, the combined fee ends up being or whatever T-Mobile is going to get paid you maybe look at uh, depending on how risk risk seeking behavior how much risk seeking behavior you want to play with I'm going to buy some out of the money call options stretching out you know for a time period beyond the s- presumed closure of the thing and if you really want to play play fun with it maybe you uh maybe you short uh, options or short the stock of uh of Sprint on the other side just to Use that to finance the call purchase. A lot of ways to play this. uh, There are a lot of (laughs) ways to play it. Ask me how eager I am to play with it. Uh, That was about to be my next question. Not at all. (laughs) Just because of the space or just because of the speculative uh, nature of uh, a lot of times when these types of trades are what you do most most of these types of trades end up going to zero or close enough to be indistinguishable. Last week, we talked about national hamburger day
0: um, as fate would have it the cur- the current issue of Washingtonian magazine, and we got a bunch of emails from listeners current issue of washingtonian magazine it 's their annual cheap eats issue. They focused on hamburgers, and right there, you, uh, it's I, a beautiful I, burger. It is a beautiful burger. And uh, Shake Shack, you know, mentioned in there Five Guys, Holy Cow. Um, as I mentioned, tomorrow, Friday, is National Donut Day, and I'm pleased to say this is not something that was created just for crass uh, crash commercial reasons. This actually dates back to 1938. Um, this was created by the Salvation Army to honor men and women who served donuts to soldiers during World War I. So that's, that makes me feel even better about the donuts I'm going to buy tomorrow. Um, freedom donuts. Freedom, freedom <laughs> donuts, exactly. Um, I'm sure there will be freedom donuts, or certainly red, white, and blue, and that sort of thing. Dunkin' Donuts always rolls those things out Come as we get closer to Independence Day. Those gimmicky bastards. <laughs>
2: um... Would you like to defend Tim Hortons? I never like to defend Tim Hortons. I am the only Canadian that doesn't like Tim Hortons. <laughs> do most Canadians like it? though? most Canadians, swear by it's, it and... it's all you, you'd swear it's, they're con, they're constitutionally obligated to do it three times a day. You guys have a constitution? We do.
1: Wow, I know
2: <laughs> they got a lot of stuff up there. <laughs>
0: um, you're, Tim, you are not a donut guy. You are way too healthy to be a donut guy. You know, you?
1: here here is here is a weird thing about donuts. So I I think my least favorite donut in the world is is the jelly donut. But my favorite munchkin in the world is the jelly munchkin. Why, why? Okay. Can I take a stab at this? Sure. I think it's
0: because- the, I don't know why it is. So, I mean, this is- I think it's because my experience with jelly donuts is it's just concentrated in the middle. Yes. And you're basically just it's Too getting, much jelly. Yeah. It's like getting yeah. a spoonful of jelly and nothing else. Right. Whereas with the munchkin- it's just
1: a, just a little taste, yeah. It's the Ratio it. of dough. It is. Jelly. Right, it is right. absolutely. It's all about the ratio. So I wonder if I mean, could you make a jumbo jelly munchkin? I mean, then I mean that's a bit of a a bit of a paradox. But I think the solution is instead of just
0: having that because uh, it basically looks like they take a syringe and just jam it right to the middle and just push in the jelly. I think you have sort of three. Syringes. Ooh. You come from from different angles. Uh-huh. Just a little bit of jelly, and that way you're getting it, it stagger the jelly. A, you stagger the jelly stagger get a the little don- bit. You're welcome, Dunkin' Donuts. By the way, <laughs> um, do you have a favorite donut? I, I do,
2: and. Uh, uh, when I do, is it
0: paradoxical like Tim, like your donut and <laughs> well, your, well, and your Munchkin donut What match it will up?
2: be is uh, even though I do give Tim Hortons a hard time and I do try to avoid it, uh, they have one donut there. Which when I do dare to cross the threshold, I will. This is the donut I get pretty much every single time, and it's called the Canadian Maple. I'm intrigued. It, 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 you know what a Boston cream donut is, obviously. Yeah. Take the chocolate icing off. Put on maple flavored icing. Canadian maple.
1: Interesting.
0: I think I'm, yeah if i if they let me
1: back up into canada sometime so I'll, so i'll be i'll be going I'll just, home do they have the canadian and, maple at the tim hortons in the united states or have they renamed it like uh, the Vermont maple,
2: they they do have it. I believe they have renamed it because I've have had they, one really? in the states. I have had one in the Why states. Would they, yeah. Why would they do that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking back. I was coming back from New York uh, at New Year's, and then we stopped at. Bra- it's in, all about branding.
1: I mean, what what red blooded American is going to buy a Canadian maple? Indeed, well, I don't know. <laughs> McDonald's
0: has been marketing the Canadian bacon, I and mean, the, they're not
1: doing that well, are they? <laughs> uh, I guess I guess you're right. You know what? I'm uh,
0: I'm headed up to Boston this weekend, and if I if I find my way past a Tim Hortons somewhere in New England, because there are a few there, are a there few, I will. I think I'm going to go in just to see that. Just my to test. my
1: favorite part of Tim Hortons is that they don't have an apostrophe in the Hortons. <laughs> Wait, um, they don't? No, nope. Because due to the uh, due to due to Canadian, I believe that Jim may correct me if I'm wrong here, but due to Canadian law, your name needs to be both written in both English and French. And French does not use the apostrophe. Except in Quebec. Right.
2: Where it can be in French. And, and if you do have it in English, it has to be in smaller font than yeah. the French.
1: So they, they eliminated the, the apostrophe.
0: I've said it before and I'll say it again. You're not getting this on Bloomberg, people. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting this kind of information. Tim Hanson, Jim Gillies, thanks for being here, guys. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the module may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.